How do I say hello to people? Like, hello, welcome to the Making Art Work podcast. Um, and I've forgotten completely what I'm going to say. Welcome back to the Making Art Work podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mullaney, your guide to all things creative and inspirational. Uh, and I'm hoping this will be an inspirational episode of the show, though uh, it's not off to a great start. Um, trying to set up to record, I snapped the bolt that holds my mic stand together and had to spend the last 10 minutes digging through a box of other screws to find one to replace it. So hopefully that's not indicative of where this episode is going to be going, but you know, we'll see. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed uh, our last special episode, um, our sit down with Genevieve Trainer, um, and hopefully uh, all you writers and artists out there who are interested uh, submitted your work to the Red Stylo project. Um, Red Stylo, I've been involved with Red Stylo for a long time. I think uh, I first, uh, I jumped on, that's how I, I, my doorway was, uh, one of the, the very first anthology they did actually was um, Poe Twisted back in 2011, and I was recommended to... Uh, by a friend to reach out to uh, Enrica Jang, who has been interviewed on episode two of this show. Uh, she's the head of Red Stylo Media, and um, I, you know, I submitted my ideas to her, and I ended up illustrating a story and illustrating and writing my own story. And ever since then, uh, I've been working pretty steadily with, uh, with Red Stylo Media and Enrica specifically. It's great what she does, what Enrica does, uh, with allowing uh, these anthologies to happen. Um, so if you are you are on the fence, there's still time. Uh, you know, submit something. You know, who knows what could happen? Like I said on the episode last week, it's you know, it's it's a fifty fifty chance that you won't get accepted, but it's a hundred percent chance that you won't if you don't send anything in. So, uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to take risks. Speaking of Red Stylo Media, uh, I decided one of the first things I wanted to talk about is a, uh, is a, is a book recommendation. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've been doing for Red Stylo since I started working with them is uh, logo design. I do, a, I do I'd say uh, you'd be hard-pressed at this point to find a title out of Red Stylo that hasn't had my involvement uh, graphically, uh, specifically where the logo is concerned. And... Um, for the story that we talked about on the last episode, the uh, uh, "What Fresh Hell Is This?" I'm going. To, I'm designing the logo for that, and I've been working on it the last few weeks. I uh, I recently acquired uh, a book, which is a fantastic book. It's it's a book by Ryan Hughes. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, I mean, you're familiar with Ryan Hughes's work. If you're not, even if you're not familiar with Ryan Hughes's work, he's done so much for the comic industry specifically, but his, his work has also gone into music and television. Um, most notably and recently, he uh, redesigned the logo for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, for the 2012 reboot that Nickelodeon, after Nickelodeon required, acquired it. And um, that's, an, I mean, I know, you know, nostalgia and all that, people have mixed feelings about that. But personally, I think that's a fantastic logo because it, it fits with the world that we have all come to know and love of the turtles, um, but bringing it into the modern day. Uh, the original logo, I'm going off on a tangent, but the original logo from the 1989 series was, it's, I mean, it's great and we all loved it. I grew up with it, but it's very dated. What he did with it was amazing. And his book is incredible. It's called Logo A Go Go. And if you're interested in graphic design and logo design specifically, go on Amazon, Get a copy of this book. It's totally worth it. I am getting so many brilliant ideas flipping through his work. He has, he lays out 
all of these designs that he's done, I think it pretty much covers his entire career. I mean, like I said, he did the, the logo for Ninja Turtles. Um, he's done a lot of work. Uh, he's done a lot of work on, on various Batman series, uh, which is fascinating because, again, it's this idea of taking these classic recognizable uh, franchises and changing them to fit a new day and age. And he's, he's done music logos. He's done, uh, he did a logo redesign for the band Manowar personal favorite of mine back in the 1980s so his work is incredible and if you have a chance to like i said go get a copy of this book logo a go go it's fantastic and it's been really helping me personally overcome some of the issues i've been having with what to do with this what fresh hell is this logo it's been a little bit of a challenge uh but i think i'm getting to a good place because of this book so i can't recommend it highly enough talking about logos uh brings me to another a larger story I was reminded over the weekend uh, when I was talking with my good friend Jackson Burns, who I do another podcast with, and also you'll find him interviewed on episode one of this podcast. Over the weekend, we were reminiscing about his old band, a band called Truman Highway. Uh, he was, it started out as a project that he did uh, in high school with some other friends of ours, uh, and then eventually evolved into something that, that had the possibility of, of actually uh, becoming something. But it, you know, as these things tend to do it, fell apart at the last minute. Um, but there's an interesting story where I come in because I've never been musically inclined and I've always had friends who are in bands. So it's always difficult for me growing up as the guy who draws pictures and then doesn't have any friends who draw pictures. Like everybody, all my friends were listening to music or playing music and I enjoyed it, but I couldn't relate to that because it wasn't my creative output. I, I'm not instinctively good with music. So I never had a way of, of contributing creatively to what my friends were doing until I graduated from college. Now, I graduated from art school with a degree in animation circa 2009. Now, I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with the animation industry in 2009, but when I got out of college, animation was on a downturn and it was looking really really bleak. Uh, Nickelodeon had been releasing all of these game shows mostly, and even Cartoon Network had done a press release pretty much around the time I graduated saying that they were no longer pursuing cartoon-related programming. They were looking to, to, to move in a direction of live action. This is... I'm, I graduate with a degree in animation, and Cartoon Network says they're not producing animation anymore. So you can imagine how rough that looked that felt for me and and my classmates coming out into that reality it was not a fun time um in in by the end of the year i had managed to find one freelance gig in marketing that's where it sort of opened the door for me to uh explore the avenues of of marketing <laughs> and uh and being able to use my creative skills in that world instead of where i wanted to be which was in storytelling and, and television animation but for the entire year of 2010, and I will admit this without any kind of embarrassment, maybe a little bit, throughout the entire year of 2010, I was unemployed. And it was not for lack of trying. I tried so hard to find work, but I could not. Nobody was interested in hiring me. And it was just a year of nothing. Um, but I did an interesting thing. And... 
And as I said, I was reminiscing this weekend and it really hit me just how important this decision was for me uh, in, in where I'm at now in my life. Um, I decided in 2010 that I was going to, if I couldn't find work, I was going to make up work. Uh, so what I did was I, <laughs> I pretty much just decided that I was going to work with my friend's band, Truman Highway. I was going to do everything I could using all of the abilities that I had learned in art school to try to round them out because they had the music down. That was the thing. It was like their music was great. People loved listening to them. People loved the live shows that they did at, in the clubs around Boston. You know, they had that good, but they had no recognizable branding. They had no recognizable identity that people could latch on to. So I decided this was going to be my project. So for the entire year of 2010 and, you know, latter portions of 2009, I was designer, creative director, <laughs> assistant manager, all these things to this band, um, essentially taking the ideas that I had, uh, both things that I learned in school and ideas that I had myself that I wanted to explore and essentially just made myself creative director for this band. Uh, I helped to, I helped to give them a stronger presence at shows. Uh, I designed merchandise for them. I, I, came up with the ideas for like, let's do specific types of merchandise. You know, let's get some, let's get some shirts made. Uh, let's, let's explore how much it would be to, you know, let's, let's get some guitar picks made with the band logos on it. I designed the band's logo. I designed a website for them. I essentially, uh, created a job for myself managing and creative directing this other project. And in doing so, I learned how to use the tools that I had in my toolkit. It's things that I had learned in art school that were focused, like when I was in school, I was given these tools with the focus of using them for animation and illustration. Now I was taking these tools out and trying to figure out essentially, what can I do with these besides making cartoons? Like all of the stuff that I had wanted to do, all the stuff I had spent time doing, like I could do that stuff. But the question is now, what else can I do with these tools that I got at school? What else can I do with my understanding of design and color theory and, and iconography and, and just that, that, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, and so what this allowed me to do was now I'm exploring the realm of graphic design. I'm designing logos. I'm designing uh, promotional materials. Every time they're going to do a show, uh, this was like, 2000, 2009, 2010, this was the earlier, these were, these were the early days of what we know now as social media landscape. Facebook was a thing that everybody was on at that point. Uh, Twitter was a thing not as predominantly used as it is today. But we were starting to see how valuable uh, this social media outreach could be. And using the ability to, to design eye-catching posters and artwork that could be posted onto the social media platforms uh, really helped to get people's attention, getting people out to the shows, getting people interested in these bands, uh, creating um, not necessarily music videos. We didn't have the time really or the, you know, the, to, to be able to do any of that at this point, um, but I created, for their demo tracks that we put online, I created what are, are uh, 
what are now called like visualizers basically on YouTube, where it's not so much a music video as it is just an eye catching, uh, animated design that plays on a loop while the song plays. Uh, YouTube was a great platform to be able to put media on, but it really doesn't help to just put something up with a static image. You want to have some motion there to catch people's eyes. So we were doing that. And what this all really helped me do was learn how to use these tools that I was saying uh, in a different way that made me more marketable. And now looking back at that, that year and a half that I spent working with these guys, trying to, to, to build something based on what they had already started, it really taught me about creative problem solving and how to utilize all of the tools and assets that you have, all of the resources that you have uh, in order to get the most out of everything to make your project stand out as best it can. Um, about a year later, at the beginning of 2011, I ended up getting my first full-time job, which was uh, with a marketing company uh, where I was their in-house uh, like videographer and designer. And I've been spending like the, a majority of my career exploring those avenues, uh, being able to, uh, and it was funny because it was actually that same year that I got that full-time marketing job was the first time I, I, I hooked up with uh, Red Stylo Media and started producing comic books. So I found this happy medium between uh, being able to produce work that could pay my rent uh, as well as being able to produce work that was closer to the whole reason I got into art in the first place, storytelling and, and uh, character-driven stuff. So uh, what I've come to now is a, a really good balance, I think, of, of doing work that, you know, it's fun and it's, it's design-heavy. It's not exactly what I got into this for, but, it you know, it keeps me stimulated and it helps to pay my bills. And I still have all of this time to be able to do i mean this podcast is a perfect example of that all of this time that i can take to explore other avenues of of what other whatever kind of creative outlets i i, I want to explore so ultimately uh what this comes down to what the point i'm trying to make here is uh, if you ever find yourself stuck in a situation where uh you're having trouble finding work uh and it's you know maybe making you feel bad or things don't look great that's the time to make up something, figure out what you have access to. It could be, as I did, a project that friends are doing that you could get involved with uh, and use your abilities to, to bring them to the next level. Or it could be a personal project of your own. Uh, take the time to explore. But ultimately, no matter what happens with you professionally, never, ever allow yourself to stagnate. Get up. Find something to do. Make up something to do. If you can't get a job, create a job. Even if you're not getting paid for it, everything you do, especially if it's driven by you wanting to do it, pays off in experience. And I'm not saying, you know, the, oh, you know, hey, design this book for me and, and you'll get experience for it. I'm not talking about doing experience, being hired by other people for experience, that whole nightmare. I'm talking about exploring the what you want to do with your skills and getting experience your way. There is nothing more valuable than taking the time to explore your toolbox and figuring out what other things you can do with all of these cool toys that you have uh, collected for yourself in terms of your skills and creativity.
Well, I think I've rambled about that topic long enough. I think I'm pretty much just going to round this episode off with a, a, a what I consider to be a helpful tip for artists. And I know it's a good tip because I saw it recommended by the Etherington Brothers. Now, before I get into that, <laughs> let me just tell you what the tip is. So when I'm working on a project, when I'm illustrating something, when I'm designing something, uh, specifically if it's story-based, I amuse myself while I'm working on it by creating a backstory for the thing that I am currently creating. So specifically, uh, the specific example recently is I've just started working on the next story for my own personal comic project, Ninja Bear. And I was designing a building... <clears throat> And I was designing a building uh, in the story that is pretty much that's the focal point of the story. You know, he, he, he finds this old building and there's no he doesn't know what it is. But, you know, he goes inside Ninja Bear. That is that's the he. And while I'm designing this building, um, it's very challenging because I had I had a vague idea in my mind of what I wanted it to look like. But I had a definite feeling of how I wanted it to feel uh, when you look at it. And those are, that's a very difficult thing to do when you have a definitive feeling of what you want the drawing to be, but no definitive details about what the drawing is going to be. Um, so when I started working out what this, this building would be, that's the pretty much the crux of the story. It's going to be the setting for the entire 12 page story here. Um, to, as a way of both amusing myself and helping me to flesh out this thing, it, it's kind of, it's really more of a, I do it to amuse myself. Essentially what it is, is, Create a backstory for this thing that you're designing. So I started, and again, it's really more of a way of letting my mind wander uh, to amuse myself while I'm trying to go through the details of this building. But what it does is it also helps me to refine what this thing's going to look like because I have to get a sense for its history and its backstory. It has nothing to do with the story. That's the best part about this is... I'm designing this building and it's a, it's like these old ruins and the idea is it's like it's a vague it's a big building it's like you don't know if it was like a house or like a, essentially when I wrote this the only description I had was it's a ruined building you can't tell if it was like a temple or a home or you know something but as I'm designing it as I'm drawing it and working out all the details of what it's actually going to look like my my brain begins to piece together the actual story of okay i'm never going to it has nothing to do with the story it's never going to be discussed it's not a part of the plot it's never going to come up in the story because none of the characters present in the story even know what this building is they're just there but i decided what it was and what its backstory was and in doing so helped me to create a cohesiveness to the design. It helped me, it, it helped guide me to adding details and it helped guide me to a cohesiveness. So it felt like, it feels like a realer place than just drawing four walls and a floor, you know? And it was, I, it was synchron, 
it was an odd synchronicity to me that as I was doing this and I, you know, it, it, during the time I'm, I'm working on these initial pages and working out the design for this building. And at one point I'm flipping through Instagram and I stumble across, uh, if now, if you're not familiar with these guys, uh, the Etherington brothers, uh, they create comic books, um, but they have an amazing series they do on their blog, which is tips for how to think when you draw and tips for how to think when you write. I'm, I don't know much about them, but I'm assuming I, I, I'm pretty sure one of the dudes is like the writer and the other guy is the artist of the books that they put out. But their tips are amazing and it's worth following them Instagram just for that. So you can look on Instagram for the Etherington brothers. But one of their tips was that it was uh, specifically they were using the example of packages and the idea being to help bring more uh, detail and life to your illustrations of boxes. Uh, even if they're boxes in the background of a scene that have nothing to do with the story, you can give them more de detail and life if you take each one individually and think of, they were like, you know, think about what this box is. Think about what's in this box or what was in this box. How did this box get here? Where did it come from? And what would it look like after taking that journey? That gives that box a uniqueness to it that separates it from the other boxes around it because one box in a factory may have been kicked or something, or it one box may have wet things in it. The other box may have dry things in it. Who knows? The idea being that instead of just a wall of all of these same nondescript boxes, now you have a detailed and engaging dimensional, Ill, Ill, <clears throat> you now have an engaging and dimensional illustration uh, that feels realer because there's, there's a room filled with boxes. Each one is unique, you know, and it's easy to do when you think about, okay, there's a story of this box, there's a story of this box. And it's a technique that I've used for years. And it was really cool to see these professional dudes who are just amazing, so much better than, than I am, uh, have the same recommendation. Um, and it's always great to, to, to have that validation of like, oh, you know, I, I was on the right track with this. It's, you know, obviously they do better than me, but, you know, at least I'm on the right track. Um, a similar thing with, uh, with my previous uh, Ninja Bear story, uh, The Village of the Odo, which you can read at ninjabearcomic.com. It's a little plug. Um, when I was designing these characters, uh, the, these creatures called the Odo, they're, they're from uh, Iroquois mythology, and they're supposed to be little people who live underground and have magic powers. And so when I was designing them, um, as a way, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, and this isn't so much backstory as it is biology. I'm thinking, again, I'm designing these things, and I'm thinking to myself, what do, what, they live underground, so how, what can I give them that sort of reinforces this idea that they live underground and they are tunneling, they're a tunneling species. And so what I did was I gave them big eyes for being able to see better in the darkness. And I gave them big shovel like hands, which they could use to dig with. None of this is ever brought up in the story. It's never, there's no awkward exposition where one of the characters says to Ninja Bear, like, oh, you know, we have uh, big eyes and large hands that allow us to dig tunnels underground. It's strictly a detail for me in the design. It's a thing that I can look at and go, there was a purpose behind that. And maybe that translates to the reader. Maybe the readers see that and think, oh, may, there must have been a purpose to the way the artist did this. But maybe not. But either way, it provides a uniqueness um, that makes the characters different from other characters that will appear later on in the story. So that's today's... <laughs> that's today's making artwork podcast tip for artists. 
Come up with fun backstories and explanations for the things you're designing to make them more unique and ultimately to make it more fun when you're actually trying to draw them. So with that, we're going to end this episode of the Making Artwork podcast. Hopefully there was something interesting in here for you. I'm still exploring. And this is the thing, you know, never stop exploring, never stop trying to figure things out. You know, I decided that I wanted to try to do something different with this show and you know, it's a little weird. It feels a little odd to me. I've never really done something where it's just me talking into a microphone, but I'm going to keep at it, see what happens with it. Uh, you know, because again, nothing ever happens unless you put yourself out there. So I'm going to keep at it and you can listen or, you know, turn me off, whatever works. Uh, before we go, I wanted to take a minute to uh, plug uh, Red Silo Media has a new Kickstarter campaign called Cosmic Love, an anthology of stories inspired by the music of the band Florence and the Machine. It's an incredibly gorgeous looking book. Um, personally, I don't know anything about this band, but uh, everybody who's working on this project is very passionate about it. If you're a fan of Florence and the Machine and you want to see work from like-minded fans like yourself, check out the Kickstarter. And if you're a fan of really good looking comic books, also check out the Kickstarter. You can find it. You can find the link to it at redstylo.com. Um, also for Red Stylo and for myself, uh, if you pledge to the Red Stylo Media Patreon, uh, you'll be able to get every month three full pages of the newest Ninja Bear comic story uh, well before anybody else does. I'll still be running the story in smaller installments on the website starting before the end of February. I'll let you guys know exactly when. Um, but the Patreon is an opportunity to be able to see full size pages three at a time well before anybody else. That puts you like way ahead of where people will be if you're just reading it at ninjabearcomic.com. So you can go again, redstylo.com to find the link to go support the Patreon. You'll also get other great titles from Red Stylo Media this year. For the next few months, along with uh, early peeks at Ninja Bear's latest adventures, you'll also get stories from last year's anthology, the double-sided book, A Soul Divided, Caged in Flesh, an anthology inspired by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So if you're interested in that, check out redstylo.com, find the link for the Red Stylo Patreon, find the link for the Red Stylo Kickstarter, and go and throw some money their way. They deserve it. If you liked listening to me talk to myself, you'll probably enjoy listening to me talk to somebody else. You can check out Who Cares with Jackson and Mark on all your podcast platforms and hear me talking nonsense with Jackson, the guest we had on the very first episode of the Making Artwork podcast. You can follow Making Artwork podcast on Facebook and on Twitter, just search for it. You'll find it. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram, the only social media platform I care about at agentmark85. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show. I hope it gave you a little bit of inspiration. I hope it gave you a little bit of a pep to get out there and start making stuff. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Bye, everybody.